Welcome to the Great Little Zion Baptist Church. We celebrate your presence here today with us. Enjoy the worship service as you sit back and listen to the singing as it gives inspiration to your soul and then the preaching of the word of God as it gives instruction to your soul. Be blessed as God has a word for you today.
friends, and guests, and thank you for joining us for our worship service this morning. Here are our weekly announcements. Come and join us for our Christmas drive through food distribution on Saturday, December the 19th from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. The pickup location will be at the church on Zion Drive. To sign up for a basket, please send in the information by December the 16th. You can call, email, or use the QR code on the flyer. Save the date for December the 14th at 7.30 p.m. for our virtual quarterly church meeting. To RSVP, make sure to email the admin office. Wednesday night, we will be having prayer meeting from 6 to 7 p.m. And we will be also having our virtual adult Bible study at 7.30 p.m. A young adult and youth Sunday school will be on Saturday at 10 a.m. And our adult Sunday school class will be on Sunday at 8.30 a.m. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram for all of our latest events and also some great inspiration for the week. Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to worshiping with you today. Oh, yeah. 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 
morning, greater little Zion. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad within it. Normally at this time, we have our children's moment where we share in the word of God that they too may be able to grasp some of the great principles of the word to apply to their life. But today I want to bypass that and just share with you in reference to a COVID-19 update in regarding to our church. Now, you know, we've been in this uh, journey since the last Sunday of March, I think it is, uh, in terms of virtual worship. And we have had a pretty good journey in terms of from then to now, being able to record our worship services. And we had a little bit of expansion in terms of people viewing. We had an opportunity to experience uh, some growth um, but as time moved on, of course, we experienced what many churches experienced at the initial stages. There was a great deal of interest in what you were providing. But as we were told by many church professions, as time moved on, it would eventually filter itself out and you will end up with the core people who will probably be there to support your ministry. And that's pretty much where we are right now. There are some churches who experienced a great deal of growth during this COVID period. So it was not only a time in which it was troubling and disappointing and heartbreaking for, for us as uh, participants in this country in terms of how this thing affected us, but also many in terms of church experienced a tremendous growth. So they may not be able to physically see all those persons who have joined their congregation, but they had an increase in their membership via virtual, and as a result, they now have a significant, whenever they come back, in-house church as well as a virtual church. We were not that fortunate as time went on. Uh, our numbers slowly declined and they leveled out, and so we are at a, a very um, low state right now. So we're back to uh, whoever the core people are of our congregational life. And we appreciate the fact that those individuals continue to support us. I have not come to you across the course of the summer with various updates because whatever I had to say, you would know no more from me than what you have learned from the CDC and from Governor Northam sharing with us the various expectations and restrictions that have been imposed upon us. And so as those updates came forth, I saw no need to try to convey that to you because you already saw it on the news. I'm only sharing you this information now because I think it's important that you know, you probably have heard within the recent week or two uh, that our numbers are climbing again in terms of COVID cases. And as a result, there has been some changes by some governors and there is a consideration, I think, by Governor Norton from my last meeting uh, last week, if we don't turn the corner and those cases do not slow down, that we may have to go back to phase one. Now, really, that doesn't affect us per se in church because we haven't entered church since March of this year. Um, what it means is that rather than to have the numbers that you can have now up to 50, I think it would go back down to uh, no more than 25. And so what we have determined to do is, I've made a det determination that we're not, of course, going to enter back into the worship experience in terms of physical person to person 
uh, because nothing has really changed to cause us to make that attempt. If I were to make that decision at the right and appointed time, uh, certainly I would inform you as a congregation and I would solicit your desire to be a part of the worship service so that I would know what steps I would need to make to get us back to person-to-person -person worship. So I just want to give you an idea to know that right now we're going to remain where we are. We're going to continue to do this virtual platform. Uh, we're going to solicit your support to make sure this happens to the best of our ability. We're going to ask you if you would continue to support us financially. We certainly can't do it without the economics to be able to make this happen. None of this is cheap. None of this is free. Uh, but it does cost us in, in a way to make virtual worship happen. And so we thank you already for your support. And I thank you for understanding that we need to make sure that we remain where we are until something drastic uh, maybe not the word drastic, but something revolutionary changes in terms of this COVID-19 and the vaccine. Now, we are hearing good news that the uh, vaccine may be coming forth at least for uh, various persons at different levels, and that's great. Um, but I think it will still be some time, perhaps maybe between the early to mid part of next year, that um, it may trickle down to the general population. But in the meantime, we'll continue to do what we do, stay in contact with you, uh, try to push more for small groups fellowship, utilize more virtual opportunities via Zoom and any other way that we can meet to make sure we stay connected. And certainly if we do that, I think we will be able to maintain ourselves. We also want to encourage you, and I can't underscore this enough, we need to labor in this time of being absent inside the building to work at gathering and, and uh, enhancing, growing our membership. We really, really, really need to expand our membership. And so that can be done by sharing with people where you worship, and then most importantly, inviting them to view our virtual service so that they too perhaps will make a decision to come be a part of this church family. So I just want to give you an update as to where we were and uh, prayerfully and hopefully that was of some inform information to you. And please, if any questions, concern that you have, feel free to contact me, uh, whether it be via email or call me on my cell phone. Uh, please feel free to do so. I will certainly be willing to answer any question uh, that you may have. But thank you, Zion, for being a committed and wonderful congregation that you are. Now, let's move to the Word of God. We're going to uh, celebrate today. Listen, we just come through the Thanksgiving season, the month of November, and now we are entering into December, which is the year, or should I say, the month of joy. This is the season of joy and celebration. Tis the season to be jolly. And so today, for the month of December, I'm going to do a series of sermons under the general title, Living Out Loud with Joy. Living Out Loud with Joy. What am I saying? What I want to do is through the whole month of December, just talk about the word joy and the spirit of celebration and the spirit of praise. And so I want to begin this series today. If you would, take your Bibles and join me in Philippians chapter 2, the book of Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 
and 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. As we're going to build upon a particular incident in Paul's life that's based on Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 22, and I think it runs around to verse 30 or 31. It's a familiar story. You've heard it before. Paul and Silas are imprisoned in Philippi. And the classic verse that's often preached is, but at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sung praises unto God. And what we want to do is integrate that Philippi or Philippian jail experience with the letter that Paul eventually wrote to these Christians to inspire them to have joy in the midst of all circumstance. Remember, we read that the last couple of weeks by Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. I have learned, says Paul, of whatever state I'm in, to be content. That means to be joyous, to be satisfied, to be happy. And so we want to expand that idea through the month of December. So Philippians Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, reading from the New American Standard, here's the word of the Lord. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Using that text, I want to preach today from the subject, joy, it makes my life tick. Joy, it makes my life tick. I've been preaching about the topic of contentment for contentment, I hope we've learned, is a wonderful word that is intertwined with two other related words as well. The words joy and happiness. In scripture, joy is usually given the meaning as a sense of internal delightment. Happiness is the recognition of how blessed you are. Both terms seems to bring a smile to a person's face and they are both related to feelings that are connected to your inner attitude about gratitude. I would suggest that one could think of contentment as being happy, being happy with a joyful peacefulness, being able to relax in all circumstances. Contentment contains the habit of being grateful for every possible thing there is to be thankful for in every situation. Charles Duhung in his book, The Power of Habit, discusses how in our brain there is a small compartment called the basal Galia. In the basal galia, what it does is it stores 
the habits in our brains even while we are sleeping. It stores habits to assure that the process of converting a sequence of actions into what we describe as an automative or automatic routine, clinically known as chunking. Chunking is at the root of what forms habits. That habitual, perpetual repetition, that act of being thankful, of being content, of being joyful, happens when we engage our mental, our emotional, and our spirit deliberations in every circumstance that we encounter. Remember, I told you in the previous sermons that uh, there are two things that we must remember. This idea of contentment, A, does not happen overnight. It takes time, it takes challenges, it takes various kinds of circumstances to not only stretch our faith, but stretch our comprehension of joy that we can appreciate contentment in every situation. And secondly, it doesn't happen to everyone. Contentment is not experienced by everyone. Joy is not embraced by everyone. In fact, I ask you the question, how many people do you know who could be described as being joyfully content as a state of mind most of the time? Probably not many. Why? Because it's a learned process, but it's a deliberate learned process. You have to work at it with duration and with perseverance in order to allow joy to become the concrete aspect of celebration in every situation. Again, we learn from Paul in Philippians 4, 11 through verse 13 that contentment was for him and is for us a learned and learning process. It involves some proactive training of the brain. That space that stores our habits have to be developed. That basal galia has to be developed and strengthened, and it's done so over a period of time. G.K. Chesterton provides what I believe to be one of the most profound statements about contentment and joy. He writes, true contentment is a thing as active as agriculture. It is the power of getting out of any situation all that there is in it. It's arduous, it's difficult, it's strenuous, it's tiring, and it's a race. In other words, you go back to the beginning, contentment is as active as agriculture. It has to be fed, has to be irrigated, has to be watched in order for it to grow. Joy is the same way. Your joy has to be fed. Your joy has to be grown. Your joy has to have constant attention if it's to become an anchor in every one of your situations. It allows, says Chesterton, 
you to have joy because what joy does is enables you to get out of every situation all that's in it. Everything that's in it. I've always said it's terrible to go through a storm and don't learn nothing from the storm. Every situation, whether it's good or bad, should have some learning lessons. That's what I'm asking that you catch the lesson that's wrapped in every circumstance for your contentment. It's in the second line of Chesterton's proclamation. The power, the habit to get out of every situation all that's in it. Every situation, there's something in it that not only are you to learn, but you to be the benefactor of. You grow from. You take the second step from. You graduate unto. It's in every situation. Joy is a part of celebrating. I may not like what's going on, but I'm going to celebrate how this is going to transform my moment in this situation. That's the challenge for you and I. The challenge in every situation is to get out of it all that there is in it. Now remember, says Paul, I didn't learn how to live this laid back, joyful life instantly. It happened slowly. It happened bit by bit. It happened experience by experience. And as I grappled, says Paul, with the messiness and the mystery of life as it is, and remember, not life as I wish it were, but over time, I learned to celebrate and let joy be a priority in every situation. It's the stuff, it's the inspiration, it makes my life tick, says Paul. My joy in every situation, says Paul, is that God never left me. Our joy in every situation is that God never leaves us. He just keeps on loving and keeps on tutoring and what really matters in life. Here's what he's trying to say. God keeps loving and tutoring in what we can live with and live without and still be profoundly at peace and full of joy. Now listen to this because here this is coming from this man who was once harsh, judgmental, pious, once a persecutor of Christians, now puts his pen to parchment and begins to describe the formula for us to live out loud with joy in this Philippian letter. From the time that Paul first visited Philippi until the time of his Roman imprisonment, which was some, as some believe, 10 years later, Paul suffered a great deal, totally for the gospel's sake. He recounts those memorable moments in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 
and verse 24. Listen to what he says. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. Let me read further so you can hear what he has been through. I have been in frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among frost brethren. Listen to what he says. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst often without food in cold and exposure. He's saying my life has been turned upside down and yet I still have joy. He says I got joy because in the midst of all those disappointing and turbulent moments, here's what happened. God kept me, God taught me, God protected me, God provided for me, God brought me through it all, and I'm here to tell you, whenever the Lord leads you through the valley of the shadow of death, whenever God be, uh, works to share in the presence of your enemy as he spreads the table before them to certainly encourage you, joy becomes the outcome of what God plants in that situation. What I think he is doing in those verses is giving his reflection of what Luke records for us in the book of Acts about Paul's journey. I want to zero in on that one line that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, particularly line A of verse 25. He says, three times I was beaten with rod. And one of those times comes out of Acts chapter 16, where the text tells us that Paul and Silas are imprisoned. They end up being arrested for preaching the gospel. Listen to what it says in verse 22 of Acts chapter 16. And the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrate tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And here's what I like. Because they had the conviction that they would silence Paul, that they would blanket his joy, that they would take away what God had placed in him. And listen to what Paul says. He says, my joy, they didn't know, arises during a crisis. Because as they had beaten Paul and Silas, and they thought that their beating would silence them. Look at what verse 25 says in Acts chapter 16. It says, but at midnight, around midnight, Paul and Silas, were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. 
In other words, God says, I'm going to show them that they may be able to physically harm him, but joy is not a physical impetus. It comes from the inside. And even though they may harm him outwardly, their spirit cannot harm him inwardly. Paul is trying to advocate to you that one way to maintain your joy is not to permit a crisis to steal your joy, but to celebrate, to give God praise and to pray in the midst of that crisis that you might show the evil one this joy that I have. You didn't give it, the world didn't give it, and the circumstance didn't give it, and therefore, neither of you can take it away. In essence, Paul says they didn't also know that my joy arises because I have a love for others and not just for myself. You turn back to Philippians chapter 1, you can hear that as Paul writes to these Christians, particularly in verse 23. He says, but I am hard pressed from both directions having the desire to depart and be with Christ for that is a very much better situation yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your namesake listen to what Paul says he says I got so much joy that I certainly would rather go home and be in eternity but it's more better that I hang around here with you because the joy that I have, says Paul, is contagious. And the contagiousness comes about when you celebrate and get out of, as Chesterton has told us, in every circumstance, what is to be gotten out of it. And that's the reason why it says in Acts 16, 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing praises to God because their joy came alive in the crisis and your joy can come alive in the crisis and you can celebrate through it if you allow your mind to be in the right state. Says Paul, all of these circumstances, they knew of my abounding joy. He says, my joy is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. So he encourages these Philippians to consider how to anchor their joy so that they can allow joy to be the ticking factor in their life. So when we come to chapter 2, and in verse 1 and 2, there are, particularly in verse 1, four if clauses that Paul provides. Now, if you look in the Greek, actually it begins by saying in verse 1 of chapter 2, therefore, if. In the English translation, is if therefore. Why is that important? Because the therefore is actually predicated upon what he said, beginning in verse 27 of chapter 1, all the way to his conclusion. Here's what he says. He says, uh, verse 25, I'm sorry. He says, I'm convinced of this. I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy in the faith. Verse 27. 
He says, I only want you to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In other words, I want you to have joy, but a part of acquiring that joy is having the same mindset as a church fellowship so that you can celebrate one with the other. And so he begins in verse 1 of chapter 2 with these multiple if clauses pointing forward to motivate these believers to desire to seek unity. Unity of their mind, unity of love, unity of the spirit, and unity of purpose. That's what Paul is doing. That's what I want to do to you this morning. I want to push you to seek such unity because Paul also knows in doing that as a community, it brings about a certain extensive level of joy that one begins to celebrate in their life. So he begins in verse 1 of chapter 2 by saying, If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, meaning someone who comes alongside. And this is important because each of these four if clauses is predicated upon pointing to the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul does. He points to the work of of the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit works within us to help establish and develop that context of joy. And he begins by saying them in verse one, listen, if you can find any encouragement in Christ, that someone who walks alongside to give your assistance by offering you comfort and counsel an exhortation. Well, he's asking, if you know Jesus, then you know the power of the Holy Spirit that brings about that comfort, that brings about that counsel, and that brings about that exhortation in the midst of the crisis. So you end up asking yourself, how do I remain so joyful, so excited, so happy when I'm going through a storm? It's because the storm is not dictating how you're going to react. The Holy Spirit is dictating what your reaction will be. And it's one of joy. I'm going to celebrate because I find encouragement in trusting Christ who's on board of my journey to bring me all that I need. He references John 14, 16 when he promises that the Holy Spirit will be with you to guide you and to lead you, but he will be with you forever. And you can testify this morning that you've known God to give you counsel when you needed it in the crisis. You've known God to give you comfort when the moment of bereavement or disappointment has arrived and give you exhortation when you felt like dying in the midst of the storm. Here it is, Paul says, if you can find or if you have found any encouragement in Christ, secondly, if you have found 
any constellation of love in Christ, meaning specifically someone, once again, who closely works with you and walks with you, someone who is helpful and who shows you love not only in you, but also through you to persons who are attempting to discover where is love in a loveless context. He says, if you have found encouragement in Christ, if you found the consolation of love in Christ, third, he says, if you have found any fellowship of the spirit, koinonia, in Christ, that mutual sharing that every believer recognizes being as a temple of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, that source of your spiritual power, as he admonishes us in Ephesians 5, 18 or 19, he says, be filled or keep being filled with the spirit. In that moment in which your spirit has been depleted by life circumstances, but you found inspiration to keep going because Christ has given you the fellowship of the spirit. And then finally he says, if you find any affection and compassion in Christ who manages to know how to confront and encourage the weak and the oppressed. And then he closed that statement by saying in verse 2, if you find any of these in Christ, look what he says in verse 2 of chapter 2, make my joy complete. So in essence, Paul says, what makes me happy is when I see that you're getting along with one another, what makes me happy is when I see that you have the same mind, all of you, the same mind. When you have the same experience of constellation in Christ. When you are working together to maintain the same love and to express that kind of love. When you are united in the spirit. When you are intent on one purpose, says Paul. That makes my joy complete. It makes my life tick. And when I see that in you, that's a reflection of me because I recognize I am the walking demonstration of how God is trying to depict to others who watch me how to have joy in every circumstance. And so Paul says to us, why me? Why do I have such joy? Why do I rejoice in every circumstance? Read Philippians 4 and he says rejoice. And again I say rejoice. How do I say that? Why do I say that? Lest you and I connect with Paul as we bring this sermon to a close and remember how joy actually perpetrates itself in the context of all of our journey. Says Paul, joy influences my prayers. When we go down to pray, 
we get joy because in us is this inept assurance that God is going to answer in God's way, in God's time, in God's manner. But he's going to answer. You can listen to the words of that old hymn, Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. This is my story because God gives me joy and it influences my prayers. He says joy influences my patience. I recognize why I'm going through that it may not change overnight, but I got to have patience. And in the meantime, I'm celebrating that a change is going to come. You can hear the words of Psalm 30 and verse 5. Weeping might endure for the night. And it may be nighttime in your journey now. It may be nighttime in your circumstances. Ah, but joy is coming in the morning. And what joy does is stretches, extends my patience to wait until my change comes because I know God is going to bring all things to work together for the good. Joy influences my prayers. Joy influences my patience. Joy influences my peace. Says Isaiah, when I keep my mind stayed on God, he gives me a peace that surpasses all understanding when it looks as if I should lose my mind I'm not interested in losing my mind it's stable I'm smiling because I've got a stabilizer he's called the Holy Spirit who keeps informing me this too shall pass that's why I want to encourage you don't get too tripped out on COVID-19 this will pass in the meantime, let joy encourage and influence your prayers. Lord, I don't know when it's going to end, but keep on taking care of me in the process. Let joy keep on influencing your patience. Don't know how long it's going to be, God, but as long as you hold my hand, we'll make it through this experience. And let joy influence your peace. Everybody else freaking out because you got to wear a mask and you got to social distance and you can't do this and you can't do that. So what? It's not the first time you've ever lived with restrictions. But let the peace of God that surpasses all understanding assist you in the midst of this chaotic experience. It's an experience that many of us We've never seen anything like this before in our lifetime. But listen, God brings about strange manners in which evolution comes to play. He works things out and God expands things. You know, when we try to remain stuck in a rut, in many instances, God creates circumstances to push you along. <laughs> so now some people who didn't like change got no choice now. So when you learn to trust the peace of God, it gives you joy. Then finally, let joy influence your praise. Listen to what Paul says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 again. When you find all these things in Christ, and when each of you have one mind, when you're unified, 
when you're rolling in one purpose, listen to what he says in verse 2, make my joy complete. In other words, Paul says, listen, I want you to be able to celebrate like I do. Go back to Acts chapter 16, verse 25. At midnight, Paul and Silas pray, and they're singing praises unto God, and their praise and their prayer shakes the prison. The foundation is shaken. The stocks on their feet are broken off. The prison doors are open. But don't miss this point in that narrative. The jailer is witnessing everything. There's somebody in your space, your family, your friendships. You may not even know it. They never may ever express it to you. But they're watching you. Because they find strength in mimicking you without ever saying a word to you. That's the reason why the writer of Hebrews says, be careful how you treat people who come to your presence because you may be entertaining an angel unaware. You never know who God is sending in your path to show them how you can have joy in the midst of all circumstance. And Paul tells the Philippians, when you make my joy complete, it makes me praise God in that prison when they thought they were going to shut me up, I cried out louder and I shouted louder and I praised God louder because I knew a God who gave me joy to praise. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it and I won't let the world take it away. And I'm pleading with you, don't let the world steal from you what they did not give to you. And the glorious graciousness of God is I will never take from you what I give you and I gave you joy for a reason and I want that joy to influence your praise. Let me close by telling you this. In the gospel narrative and I think it's Luke's gospel the disciples and Jesus are among a crowd and the Pharisees observe that in that crowd, some of those disciples were reverencing Jesus. In fact, there were others who were not. They raised a the question to Jesus. Why, why does your disciples' translation, Murphy emphasis, make all this noise about you? And Jesus made this statement, and then I'm done. If they don't celebrate me, the rocks will cry out. Do you want a rock to glorify God on your behalf? Do you want the rocks to give him praise that you wouldn't give? How could a rock, an inanimated, an inanimated object, give God praise anyway? It doesn't have a conscience. How could it praise God? Why would even Jesus reference something that has no life? He's trying to make the point. If it's empty and give me glory, how much more would you expect those that I've given life should give me glory? 
So my closing word is this. Don't you leave this worship experience not allowing God's joy to influence your praise. God is just that good and he's been that good to you where joy is what makes your life tick. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time in which you've given us. We pray that you will continue to bless as the people of God listens to this word. May their life be transformed from this day forward that they leave this worship experience knowing that it is the Holy Spirit who anchors their joy in you. Speak to them, Lord, in a very powerful way. Someone who may hear this word, I pray, who may be without Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the day that their life change and they shall forever be a different individual. Save their soul as they call on your name. We give you the glory. Rescue those, God, who are crying out to you right now. Lord, may my joy become the element that makes my life tick in you. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is the day again that God has made. And if this is the opportunity to which the Lord has granted you to have your life change from this day forward, we'd love to hear about it. If you would contact our church office and say to us, listen, on Sunday I heard the word of God and now I understand what joy is all about and I want Christ to be the Lord of my life. We want to hear that because we want to celebrate with you and we want to be your church family and to receive you as a part of this fellowship as well. We look forward to hearing from you as God transformed your life. We express our celebration and gratitude to all of you who are members and friends of Zion. You continuously support us and we encourage you to continue to do so. And we're going to have great expectation that now as we enter into the month of December, we're going to just talk about joy, engage joy, experience joy, and ride this joy wave out until the end of the year. Listen, I've been my blessing to be with you. Always remember, God loves you and so do I. Have a blessed, wonderful day in the Lord. Amen. See